0: Um, I'm going to preach a little sermon now after that. And uh, what you just saw was actually like a a visual representation of a passage in the Bible. It's Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, Mary is just about to give birth to Jesus at the beginning. And Caesar decrees that the whole Roman Empire must be registered. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 4. And um, would you stand with me for the reading of the word? It says this, starting in verse 4 of Luke 2. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now you might be thinking that's a typo. It's not. We always say swaddling clothes, but it's cloths. It's only in the King James Version that it says clothes, so it's not a typo, and I, didn't, I, I do know how to pronounce the word clothes. <laughs> and laid them in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The Christ Greek there is Messiah Hebrew, who's Messiah. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths (laughs) lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You may be seated. Would you join me in prayer for just a moment? Father, we're so thankful for your plans and the way that you decided to come to earth in the form of a baby I can't think of a more humble and gentle way for you to come to be incarnated here. We thank you for the incarnation. We thank you that you came and you walked among us. We thank you for your presence here even now. And we pray that as we, as we go forward and as we uh, come to the, near the end of a Christmas gathering, God, that our hearts would be wide open to what you would want to do. We make room for you here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, <clears throat> probably going to be clear in my throat. I will try not to do any, like, hawking. Because <laughs> I'm going to try. But if I do it, just grace, grace, right? I mean, I know I'm not the only one who's struggling with, with okay. Anyway. have you, Love you, too. Have you ever, um, have you been to a, a party before where you go and you have a great time, you're, you're there maybe celebrating your friend's birthday or a graduation or, or some kind of event like that and you go, you have a wonderful time, everyone's having a good time, you get to the end and, and you're fulfilled as far as the party is concerned, but you realize that you said like maybe one or two words to the person you were actually there celebrating Right, you ever, been in that, you ever been in that place before where you went and it's like this big party to celebrate this person, you realize that probably the most you said to them was like, hey, how you doing? Or congrats or whatever was the most appropriate phrase to say, depending on what you were celebrating. I find that this phenomenon is most common and most apparent at weddings, right? Like before I ever go to a wedding, unless I'm in the wedding, I pretty much have just already resolved in my heart, I'm gonna go to this wedding, I might not even say hello to the bride and groom. They may never know I was there, but I'm going for the sake of principle. I might say hi, but I, but I already kind of prepare my heart in advance. I'm not going to get special attention from the bride and groom. This isn't about me. Right? You've been there? And that's really acceptable because how could every person have a meaningful connection when it's such a big celebration for the person that you're celebrating, right? It's, it's all very acceptable. But what would be less acceptable and kind of awkward is if there was a party for someone. And you, and, and you show up. And then the person who's being celebrated, they get there after most people have already arrived. Except as soon as they arrive, people just continue on with what they were doing. We're talking about the person whose, whose, whose birthday it is, the person whose graduation it is, the person whose anniversary it is, or the bride and groom. And they show up and everyone just keeps on going as if nothing had changed about the party. Although something amazing has changed about the party, the, the whole reason for the party has just come. That would be kind of rude, kind of ridiculous. Hold that thought. Say, I'm going to take that thought that that Seth just said. I'm going to keep it in my mind. You don't have to actually say it. You don't have to repeat after me, but just non-verbally, rhetorically, just, okay. So about 500 years before this story in Luke chapter 2, about 500 years before Joseph and Mary and unborn baby Jesus come, to, come into, into Bethlehem, you see there was this prophecy by, the, by a prophet named Micah. Are we familiar with the prophet Micah in the Old Testament? He's considered one of the minor prophets. He gets a short book, but he's still very important. He, he says this prophecy and he speaks it about and to this town, this town, Bethlehem. And I want to read you this prophecy that, that, that was said about 500 years before Joseph and Mary come. It says this, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, which was another, uh, another uh, name that Bethlehem went by, especially beforehand, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It goes on to say in verse four, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace what a beautiful prophetic word you see this was a prophecy about Israel's messiah if you're not familiar with that term it's a hebrew term and, it, and It literally means anointed, but specifically it was more speaking to the one who would come and be the savior and the deliverer of Israel. And about a century after this prophecy by Micah, the Old Testament canon, the Old Testament scriptures, they shut. And there are about 400 years of prophetic silence. Finally, after 400 years of prophetic silence, 500 years after Micah had said these things to Bethlehem, this unborn Messiah and his family arrive in this very town where it said that this Messiah would come from. And the local inn, the place whose primary purpose was to house guests, that's why it exists, had no room, no place, for their long-awaited much-anticipated Messiah, too full, too occupied, too busy for the one that they had been waiting for. Then in the very next verse, the story shifts away from town. In in, in In a nearby area outside of town in the same region to a group of shepherds, it says that they're shepherds and they're watching their flocks by night. An angel appears to them and tells them that their Messiah, it says Christ, but their Messiah has been born. And as soon as the angel delivers the message, the shepherds travel to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. And it says in verse 16 that they went with haste, quickly, without delay, to find Mary and Joseph and this baby. I felt like the Lord highlighted to me, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, that the shepherds were on the job when they were interrupted. They're in the middle of their work. They're watching the flocks. They're doing what shepherds do. They're in the middle of their work day, uh, They're interrupted by this angel with this news of Jesus and their response was to immediately go to him. Now I want to just maybe lay before you the contrast between the response of the innkeepers and the response of the shepherds. You have one group of people who are there for the very purpose of hosting guests in their town. And yet when their long-awaited Messiah comes, there's no room for him. On the other hand, you have another group of people with a very different kind of job, whose job might actually stand as an obstruction to them being able to go and see this Messiah in a timely fashion. And yet their response to the news of his birth is to drop everything and immediately go. And would you look at that? I don't think there's any coincidence here. The shepherds, just as the angels told them, find him lying in a manger, a feeding trough for animals, a feeding trough for animals. In a city called Bethlehem, in the Hebrew, house of bread, the bread of life, born in the house of bread, laying in a feeding trough, A place that shepherds, not innkeepers, would be all too familiar with. <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> and once they had seen him, they spread the news. And it says in verse 18 that people wondered at their words. That's what this whole series is based on. That one word and that one passage. The shepherd's message, people wondered At it. Now, obviously, if given the choice, we would all like to respond like the innkeepers rather than. I'm sorry, no. (laughs) (laughs) Can I blame it on the cold? If given the choice, we would all want to respond as the shepherds rather than the innkeepers. Praise the Lord. Oh, my gosh. But I would present to you that maybe we already have been given the choice. And I would also present to you that maybe we've already been making our choice by the way that we act and by the way that we spend our time. Now, remember the awkward party scenario that I presented to you just a couple minutes ago and I told you to... Remember that? Now, what if I told you that tonight, none of you know, but that you're at a party. Could we just go with me for a minute? You're at a party. Now, now I told you that the person who we came to celebrate is already here. And then, and then some of you are going, oh, very nice, Seth. Yes, we all know that Jesus is here. That was a nice little metaphor for you to place in your sermon. Except if you know that he's in the room. Why is it that so many of you come here and you act like you've come to a concert or a TED Talk or a movie? If you know that the king's in the room, why don't you act like a king's in the room? Now you might be going, well, Seth, that sounded very, very harsh. I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to spread out the wealth a little bit. (laughs) I'm, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just as guilty as any of you are. I've been in this very room, knowing, believing, feeling, experiencing that God is working and moving in this very room. And I see that clock ticking down in the back. And I nod over and just keep going into the next section of this gathering to make sure that we stay on schedule. I've done it too many times. How often have I I been out, whether it's in a coffee shop, or at a grocery store, at a gas station, or on the street, or even here, and I know that the Lord has put a word on my heart for another person, but that day I just can't seem to find time, or maybe it's the social capital for this introvert, to be able to just take that extra step and give that word to that person. Too many times. Or how about that moment where I've been alone and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in silence and I'm in solitude and I'm meeting with God and I can, I, I'm experiencing Him encountering me and Him speaking to me and his, Him showing me His glory. And I prematurely move on from that moment because I just have so much to do. Too many times. Now I was at coffee with a friend recently. And uh, he said something to me that hit me so hard, and, and, and it's, been, it's been ringing in my ears ever since. He said, you know, the problem with Christians' schedules, I'm going to say that again, I'm not just saying the world, I'm not saying just people, I'm not just saying our nation, I'm not just saying the West. He said the problem with Christians' schedules today is that Christians' schedules are built as if none of us believe that there's a life after this one. You see, Christian schedules, there's, we're able to make room for an hour and a half, maybe once or twice a month, if we're being honest. An hour and a half, maybe once or twice a month in order to intentionally seek Jesus and his kingdom. And then with the rest of our lives, the rest of our lives reeks of unbelief. Reeks of unbelief. You know, I felt the Lord challenging me recently. Actually, over the past several years, just with this kind of gnawing question. It's kind of two. One question has been for a while. Another question more recently. He says, you always ask me to come in my fullness. You always ask me to come and fill you. You, come, you ask me to, sh- you, you say, show me your glory. You say, you say, reveal yourself to me. But what will you do when I answer your request. What will you do when I say yes? What will you do when I actually fulfill what you've been asking for? What are you going to even do with me? Have you even prepared yourself for me to answer your prayer? And then as of late, he says, why? Why? Why are you coming to me and asking me to fill this old wineskin that you have? You ask me to fill this old wineskin with new wine all the time when you and I both know that if I actually come and fill this old wineskin that you're holding out with my new wine, that I would love to. It's my great pleasure to pour out my new wine for you. But if you keep holding out this old wineskin, you know that as soon as I come and pour out the new wine, it's going to burst. You want me, but you can't contain me. What will you do when I answer your prayers? What will you do when you find the one who you've been waiting for? What will you do when the one who you've been seeking comes to meet with you? What will you do? Are you even prepared to receive him? 17 chapters and 30 years after this story from Luke chapter two. Jesus, he's looking over the city of Jerusalem and it says that he's weeping. And he has some really hard things to say, but he ends this weeping monologue in this way and I wanna read it to you. He says this. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I'm gonna say it again. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. We've both agreed that we all wanna be the shepherds in the story, willing to have our plans thrown out just for one look at Jesus but I fear that many, many, many of us are playing the role of the innkeepers. And although our very purpose is to host our most honored guest, our very purpose, church, is to host our most honored guest, that he often comes to us and finds no place to rest his head. We say, I'll make room for you, but really, can you, can you do it in like a minute 30? This is, I want to leave you with a question tonight. This is my question. Will you make room for the one that you have been waiting for? Will you make room for the one whom it is your very purpose to host? Have you gathered, have you gathered that perhaps, perhaps this story was told the way it was told and happened the way that it happened? Because one day God would knew that there would be a, he knew that there would be a group of people who it was their very job to host his presence. And that one day, That even though that's their very job and their very purpose, that he would show up to their doorstep. He would show up to their doorstep and they would say, We're we're booked. We would love to host you, but just look at the gathering schedule. You'll you'll hear you've figured out. You think maybe he knew that one day that we would struggle with this with this kind of double mindedness that says god won't you come won't you fill this place won't you have your way won't you break up all of our plans and then we would go i got to move on you see i just have this we're just too busy we just have too much going on god you understand right God, you understand why there's no room for you to lay your head, right? You get it, it's all for you. It's all for you, all my busyness. I know there's no room for you, but I'm doing, all, I'm, I'm doing these things for you. You understand, right? <laughs> Will you make room for the one who it's your very purpose to host? Or will you miss the time of your visitation? I wanna pray, honestly, for mercy. Will you pray with me? Father, I start with me right now. I start with me who I am often just so preoccupied with schedules and calendars and time and making sure everything fits in. So often, so busy doing things for you. And I know that so often that you have come to my door and I said, there's no room. So first I ask that you would forgive me. And second, Lord, I pray that as a people, as a community, as a city, as a nation, God, that you would move upon our hearts and you would open our eyes and soften us, Lord, that we might have the childlikeness and the readiness of the shepherds to drop everything that we have going in the middle of our workday to go and to find you so that we might encounter the King, the Messiah that we have been waiting for. We repent from being too busy for you and we open our eyes and our hearts and our arms wide we say God help us make room for you I've already tried with, by my own striving will you help us make room for you Holy Spirit will you help us make room for you will you move upon our minds, will you renew us will you shape us, will you change us so that we might make room for you I pray this as, as a cry out for this church, for every person here standing in the gap, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.